Does anybody have any tape out there? I want to put some tape over the death button. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I'm Mary Poppins. Y'all, actually, my name is Shahir Dowd. <laughs> Welcome to the only podcast about... Movies, well, specifically specific- the film Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Matt, I feel like uh, I, I I don't know what this film's about. Oh, I feel like this is uh, this <laughs> is my home. I feel so warm and safe until you try to destroy. <laughs> You're like the big bad wolf of my enjoyment. For those of us uh, watching on Facebook Live, I have a stick right now. It's uh, a chopstick. It's, it's a, a ch- metal chopstick. It's a metal chopstick, and I'm just gonna like wrap you on the knuckles every time you say something about how great the Marvel Cinematic Universe is. Uh, the it, the Matt, it's still great. It's still great. Bang. You can't stop me. Bang. Um, yeah, I've been so excited to talk about this. I'm choking up how my bubble tea right how, now. How many, how many times have you seen it so far? Uh, once I was this close to going again uh, right. beforehand, and I think I'm probably going to go tomorrow. Really? Yeah. You got some free time? Yeah, a little okay. bit. <laughs> okay. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is obviously, I believe, the 15th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if I'm if I'm correct. Um, maybe, oh, by the way, we are doing a little bit something different. We're doing, uh, we're doing this on Facebook Live right now just to our friends, just to test it out. Mm-hmm. So we might talk to some people on Facebook. They might have some questions or things about the film they want to talk about, which would yeah. be great. This will be interesting. Um, yeah. So chime in if you're on Facebook Live right now. Please We'd do. To hear, hear your questions or also hear how you can try and distract us from the conversation that we're having. That would be wonderful. If people aren't on Facebook Live here, where else can they interact with us? You can see us or you can actually find our work at OnlyMoviePodcast.com. You can email us in OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at OnlyMoviePod. Matt, I had a couple of interesting emails this week. What? Okay, do them. First one was from Will, uh, who was the person who requested us do the entire Fast and the Furious uh, series, which I- God- Bless Absolutely you, nixed. God bless you. And uh, Will said, thank you very much for using him as the whipping boy for the entire episode, <laughs> which, well, I am happy it to do. It was only for the first 10 minutes. I, I don't feel like I used him as the whipping boy. You kind of threw him under the bus. <laughs> but Will also wanted us uh, wanted to point out um, which uh, a little fun fact, which uh, I don't think we talked about. I'd heard about it. But the fact that the in credit sequence in Fast and the Furious, under the Fate of the Furious, sure. was released to theaters um, w- attached and it was a, it was an end credit sequence with Vin Diesel and the rock, you know, kind of promoting their spinoff, movie. making a better movie. And, uh, and apparently as the gossip goes, I, I know we're not a gossip show. There's the gossip goes. We're a gossip show. We're going to do this. Some gossip. Yeah. Vin Diesel was not happy with this proposition scandal and got the prince recalled Remove that scene and then had them put back. Now, now, and by print you mean digital copy because we're not I, delivering on prints for I, most. I places. will say this is a much easier task than it would have been like twenty years ago, yeah. where you would physically have to get the print back. Yeah. Um, so this is just a matter of re-upload. <laughs> it's basically like on Vimeo when you replace the file. That's, right. That's right, pretty right, much right. what they did. Yeah. Uh, I. I mean, I, I have a feeling. This is my personal feeling that sure. they, that the Vin Diesel Rock feud is entirely manufactured for our viewing pleasure. Is it, or but what about this? Isn't that, isn't him taking it back like that? Or do you think that's not even true? I think, I think maybe it's true, but pr- maybe for another reason. And, and here's the thing. If you're a person getting paid $20 million per movie or something like that, and you're a professional in your field, maybe you don't do these kinds of things. You know, like may, I, I feel, I Counter argument, feel famous that, people are crazy sometimes. That is true. There's a really fantastic article right now. Again, we don't do gossip, but there's a really fantastic article. But if we did. I can't, I can't remember which publication had it, but it was, in a, it was a really terrific article about Johnny Depp's finances. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's basically about like Johnny Depp doesn't understand 
how much money he has or doesn't have. And he's in real financial trouble. Okay. And like it, it had something in the vicinity that his monthly expenses are in the vicinity of $2 million a month. Pirate. Uh, and he spends $50,000 on wine. Yeah, definitely pirate yeah. Yeah. and fine art. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that makes me sad. But then at the same time, I'm like, it's, I'm, I'm fascinated by the lives of people with a lot of money, whether they be celebrities or actors. If only we had a gossip show. Um, but only- I will say this, listeners out there, if you work at a theater, if you've <laughs> ever worked at a theater and, and Fast 8 came down, your Fate of the Furious came down your pipe, and if tell us, write us in, tell us if this is actually true, because I would really be interested to know if there was a little bit of a weird, stupid recall. I mean, I'm sure. Sh- I mean, there's enough people talking about it that I'm sure it's happened. But then there are funny, interesting cases. There was the case recently of Sinbad. Did you, you know, Sinbad, the actor from back in the day? Yeah, Jingle Pe- All the Way. Jingle All the Way is mis- Sinbad. People misremembering that Sinbad was in a certain movie. I didn't quite read, read the entire yeah, yeah. article, yep. but it was like people believe that Sinbad was in this one particular movie, and it turns out he was not. So maybe it's a case of like someone said it, people believe it, and it's become a thing. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, I wanted to, another email that came in just today, and I, this is one email that I was just very proud of. It was a message on Facebook uh, from listener Jacob. So that's technically not an email. It, 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 I'm just point. I'm just, I just. I just had to say it. Right. Semantics. Yep. Um, who <laughs> asked? Who had like a film emergency? He did. It was great. <laughs> it was great. He was like, I have a film emergency and I need your help, Shahir. And he was and he was asking me for the name of a film for a trailer he had seen a while back. I was watching this happen live. By oh, the way. and I knew it. And I was like, as soon as he said it, I knew what the it film was. It was a Kate Blanchett film, right? Yeah, it was Kate Blanchett film called Manifesto. He was looking for a trailer for a movie where a single actress played multiple characters. Yep. And the first movie that came to mind was a film called uh, I'm Not There about Bob Dylan, which. Uh, Kate Blanchett was in and Christian Bale was in and sure. other actors played different versions of Bob Dylan. But it was Manifesto and I knew it and I felt very much like I was needed. And, yeah, and, and that's then important I, and, to And me. then you said you should start charging for it and then I charged him 8,000 space bucks and we're still waiting on that. 8,000 space bucks. Is, yeah. that, is that my going right? Yeah, right for now. So if you have- I, get, fil- I get 15% of that though. If you, <laughs> if you have a film related question and you are in the uh, dire emergency needs of a film nerd, yeah. please reach out to us on Messenger on Facebook or again at only movie podcast at gmail.com twitter at only uh, Look, only movie pod yeah our our venn diagrams of film knowledge are both very different so yes. most likely we'll One be of- able to answer your question uh or questions in the chat right now right now all we got is vince saying you got it which is great what up vince and also will deloney groot just I- screaming out groot Okay, so Matt, we're moving on to Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh hell yeah we Listen, are I, I and this is something I need from you to be Honest with you, I need you to tell me what happened in Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Why? Because I completely forgot about it the minute I walked out of that movie theater. And I'm not, I'm not being facetious. I'm not being like, oh, this movie's so crap and I hate it. I actually, I, I had a perfectly good time in the first movie. I thought it was a perfectly fine film. But it was one of those ones where I was like, I have entirely forgotten what this movie was about. And I mean, do you just want me to give you the full break? I mean, what? No, no, I, of course I don't. No, this is this is a review about Guardians of the I Galaxy know. Volume 2. I just want you to give me a brief recap because as I walked into Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I was like, oh yeah, what had happened in the first one that was that I that I should bring into this movie? So Peter Quill was taken from Earth when he was like eight years old by the Ravengers, by Yondu, and you don't really know why. He was just taken after his mother died. And then he had a series of adventures. He grew up. He was a Ravenger, and then he's trying to screw over Yondu because he got a deal to get this orb, and which turns out to be one of the Infinity Stones. 
Okay. Then he meets up with all the other ones based on like there's a bounty on people's heads, blah, blah, blah. And they go to a prison. That's where they meet, finally meet everybody, including Drax. And then they become friends because they realize that the Infinity Stone first are trying to sell it. Then they realize it's too powerful because Ronan, uh, the accuser, is trying to use it. Uh, originally working for Thanos, but then Thanos, he betrays Thanos near the end once he gets the the gem, uh, the soul, uh, the Infinity Stone. And then uh, they have to stop. Um, they have to stop Ronan from touching down on um, on the Nova Corps' home planet because uh, they it, with the gem, he can basically destroy the whole planet the second he lands on the planet. And then they stop him uh, because they are the Guardians of the Galaxy. They they become it's kind of like uh, the wild or even Rashomon or something like that. Sure. They kind of I come mean, together. Yeah. There, there's no like official meeting. There's no like UN convention no, that but requires the nice, them to come together. The nice thing about it, especially the first one, and the I usual think, suspects as well. Yeah. The the really nice thing about the first film in this uh, in this series is they're they're coming together. Was the script was so great, like it felt natural. There was never a moment where I was like, why the fuck is this person here? Uh, so you're talking about the Suicide Squad problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so they did it really well. And something I really loved about this movie, and we'll get into it in a little bit, but like is it, it continued that sort of narrative of of why these characters are in each other's lives. Okay. And um, but yeah, so that's basically that's all you. Oh, and then you had there was a little mystery about like when the Ravagers flew away and Yondu's like, oh, yeah, why didn't you ever deliver that kid to his father? He's like, oh, that guy's an asshole. And then like, you never know who Peter's father is. And he survives holding an infinity stone, which means he's a little more than human. OK, that's the only real sh- shit you need to know going into this okay um, um i i mean uh, and this is going to get into my overall thoughts about guardians of the galaxy but was there anything of consequence that happened in that first film that is absolutely necessary for the second film um no i don't think i mean other than you want knowing the characters right um maybe the idea that peter quill is more than human and his father is unknown okay Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and are you a big Guardians of the Galaxy comic book reader? Uh, no, never, yeah. was. never uh, was. In fact, I loved, I think the reason why the the world sort of fell in love with Guardians of the Galaxy volume one was that they, these are, these are, this is the Marvel cosmic universe in the yeah. comic books. Like this, I mean, there are diehards, of course, but like there's nowhere near the popularity of the other stuff in the MCU. Mm-hmm. So when I heard that they were doing this, I, I didn't know what to expect. Right. I don't think anyone did. And then it was good. And then it was like, whoa. Yeah. Like that's very strange that they managed to pull this off in a very fun way. Why is that strange? They're like ten films deep into like the um, because it's the, the biggest it was at franchise the, at on the, the time. Planet. At the time, it was the weirdest thing they'd done. Right. And now, but that proved that they could do it. And obviously, um, but, but but if there's now, James Gunn is fucking. You know what's great. funny is you and I were at a you and I were at a PAX at a convention sometime a while back. Uh, and, east or west? Uh, I believe it was East and at some, and I said something and you kind of looked at me kind of aghast and you were like, you don't believe that. And I was like, no, 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 this is what I believe. And I think I, what I said was the Marvel are very good at what they do. And you were like, no, you don't, you hate the Marvel movies. I was like, no, I don't hate the Marvel movies. I'm still a bit aghast, aghast right now. Okay. I think Marvel are very, very good at what they do. It doesn't mean I like, like Wolverine, the best at what he does and, but what he does isn't very nice. That's is a, that a thing? That's a Wolverine quote. That, that's a thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> Zoe knew, but you, but you were like, but you were, you were surprised that I thought that Marvel did a good job at what they, yes. at what they did. But Marvel do do a good job of producing these movies and catering to their fans. Mm-hmm. They, without a doubt, do. Sure. I think my issue is, I don't think, I, I think, and I was thinking about this today. <laughs> you were thinking I, about thinking. I was thinking about thinking. Think about that thought. I was thinking about thinking today, and and I'm going to pull up a quote from uh, Matt Singer, who wrote an article about the potential fatal flaw in Hollywood's business models. 
And he wrote this quote. He wrote, uh, some of these cinematic universes are so concerned with connecting to past films and setting up future ones that they start to look like just as serialized as television. Except this kind of television isn't as intricately plotted and doesn't have enough time to fully develop rich characters. Disagree. Instead... It, instead of binging it over the course of the weekend, you have to wait two, uh, two years between episodes. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing with the, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe to me is that the Marvel Cinematic Universe to me is what the A-Team was and what television was back in the 80s, which was serialized episodic television. And, it's, and, and the thing is, like now we look back and we go, oh man, wasn't the A-Team cool? Wasn't Quantum Leap cool? Wasn't Star Trek cool? Wasn't all these shows we used to love back then cool? But we don't necessarily remember individual episodes. We just kind of remember liking the show. You know what I mean? And I think to me- I, the I, mo- I think that's subjective. Uh, of course it's subjective. You're saying yeah. that everything I'm saying is objective? S- subjective. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Of, of course it's subjective. Yeah, I think okay. that's a given. Um, so what I think is, is that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is very good at what they do. They clearly, they make a ton of money. They please a lot of people. I find most of the movies kind of unmemorable. And I, and I find the thing is, is that for movies that are built on spectacle, I tend to not, I don't find, there's very, very little in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that makes me, makes my jaw drop or makes me go, wow, that was amazing. I think it's very, it's very, very good. It, it speaks to a certain audience. I also kind of think that that they're, the reason they exist is to present us the characters. Yes. They don't exist to present us a movie. They exist as a reminder of who these characters are. Now that I, I, I think that's just kind of super semantical. Of course they're making a movie and we've gotten into the, and I don't want to get no, into no, this but, argument but again. You, yeah, but you, you about, about what is a movie. Yeah. Uh, of course they're movies. Right. Uh, I, I think you're you taking redefine, redefine what you mean by it. They're not doing it to make a movie. Right. So Jurassic Park is a movie to me, right? Jurassic Park is a solid. There's a reason this story exists. Sure. There's a reason that they've, that they've come good together. Good story. They want to tell it. They've come together to tell the story. Yeah. Jurassic World is a reminder that the, the, the Jurassic Park franchise exists. It's not necessarily a movie. It's, it's a, it's a the, marketing exercise. The, the, and, the reason, this is, this is the difference, and I think this is where we sort of split. Jurassic World, the reason it might have become a thing, mm-hmm. I agree with. Yeah. But it actually, once it's a thing and once people are working on a thing and all of the hands that touch that thing, it is now its own thing. Okay, but you're talking again about the cultural product, right? I'm talking about the reason it exists. And, sure. And what I'm saying is it's, 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 akin to, um, it's akin to making a T-shirt of a movie. You know, like it's, it's not necessarily the thing itself. It's just that it reminds No, because they're us. actually making a movie. They, they, they are. I mean, you can't deny that. Right. It's in a movie theater. We're watching it. You paid however many dollars but if you're in New York. It's insane. <laughs> and then you're watching a film on the big screen. It's a right. movie. Now, why it exists? Sure. <laughs> but again, we've talked about this before. Both reasons have value. Like it doesn't, it, you can't. I don't see a logical right, right. way to okay, say. But, okay, that's yeah. okay, and that, I accept that. Uh, I accept that point. Do you do you accept that that um, say for example, uh, a Guardians of the Galaxy one doesn't have as much reason to exist as a Mad Max Fury Road? Uh, ooh, uh, wait, say that one more. You're saying, okay, okay. Why don't I pick a non-franchise film? Uh, sure. Uh, guardians of the, I'm looking at the posters of movie franchises. Sure. Um, that we've I done know, on the wall behind audio, us that audio. no one on Facebook live can see because we have the worst possible camera angle yeah, of yeah, our yeah, studio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we do have mega our, our skeleton over there. Actually, nice. none of these are good examples <laughs> for you, but okay. No, no. The reason that, uh, guardians of the galaxy exists is not the same reason that arrival exists. 
Um, hmm. No. Okay, so here th- and, I, and I accept your conjecture yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that that they there are two different could, reasons for being. Could the Hollywood system as it stands now, would they have ever made a Guardians of the Galaxy movie had the Marvel Cinematic Universe not proven a pedigree? Yeah. No, they never would have because it's crazy and they didn't they, who the hell knows who these are unknown characters, who gives a shit. But this is the great thing about it. This is one of the strengths of the thing and I know you list a lot of the weaknesses of why of things that happen with these sort of with these franchise building things, but because they proved themselves uh, even just even from a straight up monetary reason, then the purse string holders were like, you know what? Yeah, let's give this a go. They, they've done eight great jobs. Like, yeah. let's let's go. Yeah. And that would have I would have never gotten Guardians of the Galaxy, a movie that and I will defend this to anyone. <laughs> when Guardians of the Galaxy one dropped, it took its play like it took my the mind place that star wars used to hold for me a lot i've, I've heard a lot of people say that it's the it's the it's the spiritual successor to star wars and the new star wars movies i like and they're i, I enjoy them but like th- this is my update this is my like star wars for the times i would have never gotten that i ne- at, at the level of expertise that they gave it to me i would have never gotten that had iron man not been a huge hit for for different reasons i would say to me the spiritual successor of star wars is lord of the rings but that's a, a bigger, broader discussion. I just meant space opera. Yeah, you meant a space opera. Um, sure. Um, yeah, why not? I, 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 you, you say you say you're going to defend this. I was like, no one's attacking this point. You know, no one's going to. Great. Uh, no one's. No uh, one in the chat. No one in the chat wants to. Okay. Uh, no one's going to have conjecture about this sure. point. Sure, sure. But but you know, I, I guess that's my 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 feeling right now. And I I you know like um, I enjoyed the first Iron Man. I actually watched it again recently because it was yep. popped up on Hulu. Sure. And I. I enjoyed it. I felt like the thing about it is it sits up the formula and, you know, it sits up what the formula is for, for the, the rest of these movies. Yeah. Um, what I, if we get into gardens of the galaxy part two, I'll actually say I, I quite enjoyed it. I, okay. I, Unexpected. I, I enjoyed the film. I, um, I enjoyed it in this sense. Uh, what I l- really, really liked about it was the was the lack of attempt to connect it to a broader Marvel Cinematic Universe. There was never any moment where they were Agreed. like, oh, Thanos is coming around the corner or something like that, or that we're not going to see, but it'll be teased out later mm-hmm. on. I was There's, glad we didn't see. Uh, yeah, there Thanos. were little little things, but they weren't central to the to the overall plot. Yep. What this felt like to me was a really – I actually put it on par with um, uh, Star Trek Beyond. I put it on par with Star Trek Beyond, which is that it's fun. It reintroduces you to the character. It tells a story within that universe, and then it moves on. And I think that's that's its strength to me is that it it works in that way. Um, I will say this, and this is uh, this is completely biased. I've been watching. I've been binging Rick and Morty recently. Uh, <laughs> Again, haven't seen it yet. It's fan freaking tastic. Uh, Rick and Morty is amazing, and there are many episodes that felt. Similar to with a plot line of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But there's a thing with Rick and Morty, and I don't know if it's a time or an irreverence or the animation style or sure. whatever, where your jaw drops literally in almost every episode with hmm. how clever they take the story, where they take it from one one echelon to the next to the next to the next. And I kind of was like, 
I was, I, the thing about guardians that I was kind of like, Oh, this is interesting is that it doesn't, do that. It, it kind of knew where it was going. I think it does that in one or two instances. It's, it's not a, it's not going to drop, drop your jaw based on plot uh, a ton. I think there's a couple moments we can get into it as we go through yeah. uh, that I thought were really strong. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. okay. So as a fan, Matt, what did you, what did you think of uh, guardians of the galaxy volume two in relation to your fandom for uh, volume one? Sure. Uh, I obviously really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, you know, everyone is always obsessed with, is it as good as the first one? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, no, because again, just like uh, the Avengers Age of Ultron definitely isn't as good as the first Avengers movie. Right. It's because, and well, that has other problems too. Let's not even get into that. But like the, it's because y- it's something that you didn't know would be so amazing. It comes along and instantly your expectations aren't high enough. And then, whoa, like that's so good in your own, in, if you if you like that sort of thing. Are you talking about repetition though? Like is no. it not good because it's no, repetitive? No, 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 no. It's because, it's because something came out of nowhere. It's because it's something that that is just literally like, you, you, because you're like, oh, this might be good. Who the hell knows? And then it knocks it out of the park. So now you have this high bar and you're like, oh man, if they do another one, you really have to, you have to go ape shit and really go ahead uh this movie didn't give me the the same sort of like holy shit feeling maybe the rick and morty thing that you're describing as the first one did yeah um but its strengths for me uh came from other unexpected and really appreciated places. Mm -hmm. And that is the character dynamics between not only just one group or two groups, but like it, it, it does something that I feel like um, a little bit, for 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 a second, for at least of this film, bucks the Marvel um, mm-hmm. the Marvel style or mold or whatever you called it. Because there's a lot of things. There was an uh, I've been reading some articles online. Well, you've been reading a bunch. Yeah, you've been, been doing a bunch of reading. Read, just reading a bunch. <laughs> yeah, doing a bunch of reading. Uh, and it uh, it was talking about how like you know the, the 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 mold was like okay superhero then doubt then like female love interest then like whatever the hell then bad guy then whatever right mm-hmm. and it's it's sort of like this like a slight romance thing in it and then whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Avengers came along and it did something a little bit different, but not quite. And then what guardians, especially guardians two does guardians two doesn't fall into that sort of weird standard hero trope. It falls into a different trope altogether. Instead of focusing on like one romantic relationship as sort of a main, mm-hmm. it focuses on a familial relationship. Me familiar? Uh, uh, yeah, it's me familiar. uh, and, 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 and more so than obviously, uh, uh, fast in the furious or whatever, but like, because every character has not only reason to be there in the plot and whoever gives you, but like their interactions, even though it's a raccoon and a baby tree and a giant just tattooed dude and a green woman and a, and basically a kid that was ripped out of the like late eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they, they all interact with one another in, in not only realistic ways, but in ways you can relate to with, with, with family, even, and I will get into it a little bit, but even Gamora and Nebula or, or even to the point when it got to Drax and Mantis, there was some interesting stuff and I'll talk about it, but I really appreciated mm-hmm. the care. And then the father issues, obviously from all different sides, I appreciated the care and the time it took to, to actually deal with character as opposed to just spectacle. Is there a lot of spectacle in this movie? Sure. Yeah. But it wasn't, again, I have to keep going back to fate of the furious where like, it's like, 
setup and spectacle the entire fucking time. This was like, okay, action piece. That was fun. Oh, now we get to see them hanging out and doing whatever. And then, okay, action piece. And okay, now it's different characters interacting based on where they are. And it's like, it, it gives it enough time to breathe mm-hmm. where not only you have a moment away from the action, which is always nice, but you, you get in these characters heads. And I think James Gunn does such a phenomenal job balancing all these plates. I'm I'm very impressed by James yeah. Gunn directing this film. I've uh, seen I've seen Slither. Slither's great. Uh, I've seen Slither, and uh, I haven't seen Super. Uh, Super is you have to. How do I put it? <laughs> it's an acquired taste. Sure, I mean, um, I'm sure he 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 himself is an acquired taste coming out of the trauma school of filmmaking. But uh, I mean, I would suggest anyone sees Super because you're gonna either love it. Or be like, I fucking hate this movie. Like, there's no middle. It felt ground. like uh, uh, another version of Kickass, which would come around around the but same like, time. But like, not even like it's it's hard to sort of um, yeah, it's 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 hard to sort of put it in that thing because Kickass is almost parody, and and this isn't parody. This is it's it's different. Okay, so uh, we've we've talked uh, about the film for a little while. We've kind of given our first impression. We haven't talked about what the and and I think this is probably telling about about. Uh, these kinds of movies. What is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two about? Well, if you go to vo- if you go to IMDb as we as we're apt to do, yeah. <laughs> uh, here we go. Set to the backdrop of awesome mixtape number two, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two continues the team's adventures as they unravel the mysterious of oh, the mystery. I'm sorry of Peter Quill's true parentage. That doesn't. I, I know IMDb is not the best reference for uh, it's story, the worst story synopsis, but doesn't that sound like a description of the A Team as a show? Uh, it sounds like an episodic. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. A, and that's what, and that's what I think it is. You know, and I, I think the way to enjoy this is to think of it as an episodic. Uh, this is, this is a new, this is a new episode in the guardians of the galaxy episodic. I mean, sure. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, I, I again, I, I feel like this is what I feel like you're doing and, right. and correct me if I'm wrong. You're, what am I doing? You're trying to sort of set up sort of small agreeances so you have like one large major point that you can I come have, back with I have no I have stab no, me in the back and take the fun away Shahir <laughs> I have no overarching Thanos like plan uh, which I won't reveal to then you then why are you wearing that giant gold gauntlet I mean look it's the infinity rings uh, had had to go somewhere <laughs> you made uh, rings out of them yeah um, so fashionable um no I I I, I just I think I agree that it is a uh, it's it's a fine episode of television. It 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 it's better than that. It's, is it? It yeah, a hundred percent it is. Because here's most, a question for you: Is yeah. it better than the second to last episode of Game of Thrones this year? Ooh, um, I, I'm I'm on the spot. Let me let me ah, uh, you know what? <laughs> <sighs> yes, but no no you know, no you know what? Here it's we go. Better than I got it. I got it. It's better than better. The war better and, is. Is a weird fucking scale. Just follow me down this no, no, nightmare you're, you're rabbit hole. No, because you're the one who said that. Uh, I know that the, the this is so, it's so, better than television. Listen, but like you, the better is the term that's weird because this movie is. I had more fun. Okay. Watching this movie than I did watching that. Okay. I had more of a jaw dropping. Oh my god, this is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. With. With uh, Game of Thrones, the episode, the Battle of the Bastards is so, what you're talking so about. So as we've established in this entire sure. uh, podcast, is that your barometer for what is good, fun? If if that, if my barometer changes knowing what I'm going to watch because I'm not, I'm, I, I can differentiate the difference between just 
art that's impressive for, oh my God, this artist had something really deep and meaningful to say and they've, they've managed to just put it in whatever medium and it's, it's beautiful on the screen or they didn't quite make it or just like, holy shit, this is made to just make me have, made me to evoke feelings either of fun or sadness or happiness or whatever you want to talk about. I can differentiate why a thing is there okay. and why I'm there experiencing it. Okay, but can you... Can those things overlap in the Venn diagram of your life? Oh, yeah, can, can, 100%. Can, can a beautiful piece of art or something that is uh, meaningful or transcendent, or even as we discussed in our episode 100, would definitely be a film of the time to last the, the eons afterwards, could that also be fun? Uh, yeah, but, but again, now, now again, yeah, there, there's no Thanos plan. Sure there isn't. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make, and we should actually get into the film in a little bit, is... Just because, just because there is a peak, a a uh, unattainable or or very lightly attainable sort of uh, cinematic uh, precipice that you can just reach, and 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 it's the ultimate best in every part of this Venn diagram that we've been describing as to what enjoyment is. Mm -hmm. That doesn't take anything else away from things that don't make it there, because otherwise, both of our favorite tropes, like uh, uh, troughs of films, wouldn't count. Of course not. But then, I, and I totally agree with you on that. That's that's uh, that's a completely acceptable point. Um, what I guess what I'm curious about is put is 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 how do we read this film for our audience? How do we present this film for our audience? And and to me, I present it as a very good episode of television. If you remember television from the eighties, but the way you the way you say these things, I love Quantum Leap from the eighties. Hey, that's great. That's like, great. look, we'll we'll but, talk but to I, Ziggy after the show. Yeah. Uh, but the way you say the way you say these sort of things <laughs> is not the same way that say you speak about OJ Simpson uh, made, the, in the, the made in America. Be because to me, OJ Simpson made in America is advancing the art form in a way that is really long. No, profound. And oh, it's so not. But <laughs> oh, that, oh, okay. It's not. It's I don't think it's advancing it. And I don't want to get too much. In, I'm sorry. <laughs> I even said it. It's, it's not advancing it. It's not advancing it a super profound way. It's a very detailed, well done documentary. I've seen very detailed, well done documentaries before. Okay. I mean, you can pick, uh, but, but okay. You, you, we have to go back to the sentiment of what I'm saying. Yes. Go back. Which is, which is, Pull me back. Um, um, say Terminator 2 is profound. It is a profoundly epochal film, which changes the way in Good which word. we look at cinema. Um, sure. and, 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 and I agree. Not everything can be Terminator 2. You know, like... Uh, if only. If, uh, yeah, there's, uh, if only any other Terminator film could be Terminator 2. <laughs> I didn't, you know what? I didn't hate Terminator 3. I, I didn't did. hate it. I did. But anyway. Sarah so, Connor Chronicles, first season of that. Excellent. Right. So I'm just saying, like, I, I enjoyed my time at the movie. I thought this was a very colorful film. I'm very impressed by James Gunn's rat his ability to do comedy in a rat-a-tat style. He's like, he's just got a great sense of comedy, yes. which I thought was excellent. Uh, you know, but uh, is this, uh, is this a profoundly great film? It's an okay film. It's, it, to me, it's a, like, if we're going to go into my overall thoughts of the film before we move on, it's a solid B plus movie. B plus, maybe A minus if I'm if I'm being feeling generous. And I'm not going to go and say this is like a perfect thing. I have issues with it kind of a little bit nitpicky all over the damn place. If we want to talk about the negatives real quick before we get into actual story. Sure. Um, the first third of it felt a little bit weighted oddly to me and and almost to the point of uh, I know I've talked about this about on even on when we talk about drive, mm -hmm. how I feel like the shots went on like a frame or not a frame, like a second too long each and that knocked the pacing off of the entire thing. I don't know if it was a theater I was in. I was wondering if it was a mixing issue or not. 
Okay. Because, but the first third of the film, every sort of the way it was cut together, something in my editor brain was entirely off. Like it felt, it felt like even the, the way that the, there's a scene in the beginning, if you've seen the trailers of this thing, there's a giant monster coming down and they have to fight it. And Star-Lord and Gamora have an interaction where it's basically like, oh, uh, is that a rifle? And she's like, yeah, you don't know what a rifle is? She's like, oh, I, I thought swords were your thing, but I guess you're doing guns now. That's cool. Like it's this sort of like back and forth, like kind of you know, weird little cute moment of like they, you can kind of see they don't know where they stand with each other. Sure. In the trailer, it's paced perfectly like the, the, the pacing of the joke and the audio and everything is works. I felt like when I was watching the movie. I was like, this doesn't feel like something is off. Like the pacing is slightly askew. Okay. And then about a third through, like after that battle and maybe the next couple scenes, it wasn't, it wasn't even that I got used to it. Cause I was actively looking for it. Yeah. It just stopped. And I was wondering if maybe that was like an audio syncing issue in sort of the beginning. Did you, did you watch it in 3d? No. So I watched it in IMAX 3d. Oh wow. How uh, was that? Um, I didn't, you know, like IMAX 3d has a tendency to, uh, flatten things out and make it make things feel kind of like cardboard. Uh, you know, t- the, the yeah, like is, they're, they're dimming the lights on you fucking like no, nine uh, stops. So I saw it at the, the Lincoln Center and they have a new laser projector, which means the film was Ooh. super bright. It oh, was wow. incredibly bright. Looked, uh, it looks great. The la, la, laser. Um, there's a there's a sort of uh, theatrical quality to 3D, especially at that scale where, um, you know, the correct term is two and a half D, where it's not a, a three dimensional object. It's objects in three dimensional planes. Yeah. Um, so it kind of, to me, it's not the ideal way to watch the movie. Um, but, uh, there, there's something kind of flat about, it. and I wonder if the reason you're thinking about the pacing that way is sure, that, sure. is that the film was kind of cut for 3d in mind, you know, like where possibly, and absorb- especially that scene, the first scene where they're fighting that giant monsters. I love that spectacle. first shot. The, the first shot with Groot kind of uh, yeah, yeah, doing his thing. Yeah. And I, you know what I love about that is I love the irreverence of, you know, what James Gunn is doing there, which is that there's a big action sequence happening, but we don't need to see it because it's not that important. We're just kind of getting sort of into the into the movie, but it opens with them. They've been hired to stop this interdimensional monster from eating a power source on a planet. Yeah. And so they're all there. They've been hired out because they're basically guns for hire. And when this monster shows up, yeah. instead of seeing the battle that this monster has, you see baby Groot plug in a stereo system that rocket was li- working on to quote listen to tunes while we fight this thing yeah uh and uh <laughs> then they uh then they fight but you only see baby Groot dancing and every once in a while you'll see like a, a character fly by or do something else and sort of interact with baby Groot in a little bit of way i think it's fun i thought it was great and it's it was a, a nice it was a nice way to twist that that sort of spectacle uh this is my second gripe with the movie though okay uh, it tried and tried to rely too much on callbacks to its old favorite jokes. And one of the first times I noticed this, and it was definitely too much. Now this might, this might, I might not have had a problem with this because, because I you the didn't fir- remember because I forgot the first. So the, at the end of guardians one, when Groot's destroyed and he's in a little plant and he's in a little pot, he's dancing to, um, um, uh, Jackson five song. And every time and in the, in the background, Drax is polishing his knives and then he's little baby Groot's dancing. And then Drax, yeah, why, why does baby Groot need to hide his, uh, his well, this is the thing. There's no, the, the there's reason, no reason was, for no, it. no, no. So in the, in that little post credit sequence, yeah, I remember Drax that. looks over and he freezes. Cause it's funny. And it's like, okay, whatever. That's cute. But there's no reason. No. So now in this one, when baby Groot's running around, 
and dra- like people have been thrown in front of him and he gets out of the way. He waves the most adorable thing I think in this movie is when he waves, he always waves at Gamora. And this yeah. time she's like, hi. And like, she shoots again and jumps off. And I thought that was adorable. When Drax hits the ground, baby Groot just stops dancing. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, because there was a joke in the first one. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And there was a lot of that. And that I felt was a real detriment because all of the new jokes and all the new interactions were so strong. You don't have to go back to the well of that, like that level, right. especially right in the beginning. So that kind of threw me a little bit. Okay. Um, I I have to say, Baby Groot is adorable. Yeah. And and as a dad with a toddler at home, um, I think the animators and whoever did work on Baby Groot. knows and understand the things that toddlers do because, because there were so many like moments where I was like, that is, it, it's, it's endearing to me as a dad that this character is in the middle of the, you know, like yeah. turning and seeing a wide eyed Groot kind of like eating popcorn. And, and, like and it adds to the familial issues in the movie because now they literally all of them together are responsible for basically a child. Right. And it, it, it adds to a different level of, I don't um, feel they're that responsible as parents. They're not, no, I'm not saying they're responsible, <laughs> but they are, they are, they are, I'm not saying they are actively responsible, but they are, they are, it's, it's basically their kid. Right. And like, even with the part later on when they yeah, get the taken away and all that stuff. So it's just yeah. like, that's just another aspect to this. And because they deal with family politics very well in this movie, that's up. That's a space nonsense film. Did I deal? So here's, here's the, here's the, you know, the initial conversation that we were having. I think this is where this will come into play for sure. us. Sure. Is I think they have good dynamics in this film. Like uh-huh. I think characters play off each other. Well, we know the, who they are and how they identify and the hostilities between them and the, the points at which they like each other. Does it deal with that in any sort of meaningful or interesting way? I think the only issue that it does deal with, there was one point at which I thought, oh, this film is doing something interesting with this idea. And it's one where I was like, is this a contradiction to the first film or is this, is this kind of like segue? Do you want to wait till we get to it or do you want to? No, no, I want to, I want us to jump around. So we're doing spoilers now? Uh... Oh, that's a fair point. Yes, this yeah. is, this would be a spoiler. Okay, we I'll, can. I'll, no, I'll do it. I'll do it very briefly. It deals with the topic of parentage, parentage, parentage. Pa- is it Parent. different? Parent, parentage, parentage, yeah. parentage. What? Whatever. You're not from around here. This is like your bio. Uh, what did you say? Biopic. 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 <laughs> which, which, which makes no sense to me. I don't know. I know that's wrong. Yeah. I just do it. Yeah. it it's parentage. Uh, parentage. So it deals with parentage. <laughs> um, no, actually, I, know, I realize that I'm saying... Per- we can say... Look, yeah, we all don't have to pronounce things the same way. Okay. We're uh, all... It deals with... Different. The, the <laughs> It deals with the topic of uh, parenting in an interesting way. And I think it, deal, it comes to a, a conclusion about it that is interesting. And I was like, I was affected by it. I thought it was touching. He may uh, be your father, but he's but, not your daddy. But yeah. And, and I wasn't sure if this was a contradiction to what we knew about that character. Not at all. Towards the, not because the way all. again, and I, and I was kind of like struggling to remember his role in the previous film. And also, but then I was remembering in this film, they talk about him beating him and him telling him he's going to eat him and, you know, him using him to like, you know, get his little hands into places like they did in Snowpiercer. I was kind of like, oh, is this? So what, is this, what Shigeru is, is talking is about? This, I guess my question is, is this retconning an emotional trope into a thing that doesn't necessarily make sense? It is not. Um, Tell me why. Because, okay, so moving on a little bit. This, now we'll sort of get into full spoilers as we sort of go through. Um, I think we've identified 
our topics, right? Like we've identified our positions. On sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I, I talked about all my grievances. Uh, as far as, oh, uh, some other things I really like. I love how colorful it is. I think it's a really pretty Pretty, pretty, pretty movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, and we'll talk about this, I think, later. This will probably be a, more of an end conversation because I know we both have sort of differing things. And uh, we actually have a, a, a letter we're going to read in from from one of uh, our friends. Yeah. Uh, but the music, I loved the music. Uh, and I loved the choices and the way the, that the music was used yet again. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, both from a from a meta story standpoint and actually like why it's being played in the thing because Peter Quill has these tapes from his mother. I just like, I like when things can tie in lightly like that. Mm-hmm. Regardless. I think I think they overplayed that a little bit in this film. It felt it, to me it felt like a an a uh, a device that had narrative purpose in the first film because it was about his mother and it, you know like he's really this tape is the last memory he has of his mother. Sure. In this one, it was kind of like, hey, have you got that tape? You know, like for some reason at one point, Rocky uh, Rocky Raccoon says, hey, have you got Rocket, that Rocket Raccoon? Ro- Rocket Raccoon. I'm just remembering the Beatles song. Yep. Um, says, have you got the tape that Peter always plays? And I was like, why are you doing that? Like, what is because that? they like the music. They, but it has no reason to be as much as it did in the first film. But you I don't need I mean? them to remind me in this film that, that oh, this is because Peter's dead mother liked these. T- like I just don't. It's I just, just it's I'm a saying, fun trope that they've built and now they can use. But now it's a device. Now it's just kind of like a thing. But it's done very well. Again, you want to look at how not to do it. You look at Suicide Squad. You want to look at how to do this, whether or not you like it. This is the way you do this. Sure. Uh, I guess my only comment about the music is. Uh, James Gunn does a very good job of selecting music. Um, you know, he, he chooses music that works very well in the scenes. I will say, uh, a little bit like suicide squad, but better than suicide squad much, much done in a much better way. Every way is that none of the music choices are surprising and they're not, and they also don't necessarily tie into what we're seeing in an unobvious way. You know, like they're very obvious choices to me. Sure. And, what, and, okay. So this, that's kind of a weird, and I, I don't want to be combative, but that's a very sort of pretentious way to look at a musical choice. I think uh, so. It, it, something needs to be incredibly clever for it to have emotional resonance for you. When a, when a song hits during a part of a movie that it needs to be like this. So like, Oh my God, I would have never thought to use this song this way. Like, can't it be sort of like, Oh fuck, never break the chain. Mm-hmm. Like that makes total sense because what's going on right now, if, if done well, you can obviously do it poorly. Yeah. This was done well. This is, I, and I, yeah. I said that yeah. this is done well, but I think what I'm saying is, is that the music choices feel in a weird way, obvious to me because there's such, such known songs. So when, so for example, when, um, Quentin Tarantino did a uh, little green bag in Reservoir Dogs, for example, that was a song that's not in the popular consciousness. Sure. And that is a song that he brought back specifically for that film. It was unique to that film. Another person I think who does it really well is Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson uses music in a way that's really, really affecting. And it's like, and it, it's always like a song where you're like, oh, I didn't, I haven't heard that song or I haven't heard that in a while or I haven't heard that used in this way. It kind of transforms the way we understand the usage of that song. But I haven't I, heard I these songs used in this way either. I mean, these are, granted, these are not current songs. These are not songs that are in everyone's public lexicon. This but, is, but they're known songs. Like they're, they're used, you know, the, the Fleetwood Mac song you're talking about is used in sure. Super Bowl commercials. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, to me, it's like a good usage of library music. That, that's what it is to me. 
It's very, very good. Sure, but, but I think I think it not, transcends the, that sort of statement due to the fact there is narrative ties to it. In there's the a, first film. But, but, in the first film. But you were asking, are there things you need to know going into this one? This right. might be one of those things that that sort of, a, if that, that makes it work more for me. Peter Quill has musical tastes. Mm -hmm. He has brought these musical tastes to his surrogate family, and now they're used to hearing all these songs, and now they like hearing the songs, and it makes sense, and they use them in, in proper moments of the film. Uh, it's just It just works for me. I don't think it needs to be anything sort no, of other I, than that. I, I agree, but I, I, I guess I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't give it like, oh my god, they've done this thing amazing. They've done it very well, and it's kind of good. You know, I think it's better than good. Right. I, I don't know, but that again, it's, it's very no, no. You're right. Different it's very, folks. It's very good. It's very, very good. But it's, it's not like. Uh, like I say, um, Quentin Tarantino using Little Green Bag, or it's not like the way in which Wes Anderson reconstitutes David Bowie's music for The Life Aquatic. It's not, it's not that kind of level of transcendent where you should really go, oh wow, this is a thing. It's very good. Some of them did that for me though, man. Right. Like the the again the use of of chain, the use of um, I'm trying to I'm I have a, I have a list right in front of me. Um, it was what was it? Oh, uh. What's it, um, the, my sweet Lord, when here's, they get to Ego's a, planet. Here's an example that is transcendent and wonderful. The trailer for Logan, which uses the Johnny Cash hurt. Yep. That is a use of that song that is. It's also a trailer, so it's different. It's tra but it's really good. Like that makes sure. you rethink about that, that song. It perfectly accompanies what that moment is about. That's a, that's an, and that's not an unpopular song, but that, that to me is a moment where it's like, holy shit. They really nailed this. There are, and I will say this: if if, I, if you're looking for a small conceit, I was looking at the list of sort of like what, uh, like the, there's like one or two of these things on the list that I feel like the use could be falling into the sort of like oh this is cool but not quote as you've been putting transcendent. One of them is come a little bit closer for Yondu's scene where he they're breaking out of the the ship. And I'll because, tell you the I'll tell you the moment. Okay, go ahead. But I was just gonna say that one. It's like oh I get it like. You stab at a bunch of people with an arrow, come a little bit close. I just, it's like, okay. And like, also to me, the other one that like is kind of like a little bit um, jarring. It's like nails on chalkboard kind of as a selection is Cat Stevens, father and son. I was like, uh, that That to me is like a moment that is like, uh, you picked the most I, I liked that obvious one. song I liked that about, one. about, you know what because, I mean? Because, hey, spoiler alert, they're listening to it on a Zoom. That, I mean, that's important. That's important narrative structure. Right, but that has nothing to do with the choice of that song. No, no, but no, it's, no you know, I, like, you know, I like the choice. But you know what I mean? That that song is like, it's a very obvious choice for that. And I, again, it's good. It's effective, but it's not like, hey, let's write home about this kind of thing. I, so that, I, that, but I think the majority of it is, and I feel right. like we've talked about this too much. I don't think we're going to change each other's points on this, but I get it. There are moments that there are definitely, there's tears of the musical use in this film. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah. Oh, we got a cat on the table. Great. Hey, everyone on the internet, you can see that. Uh, By the way, <laughs> but let's do, read. Do, oh, do we want to address this comment that, uh, that uh, James Lombardi has done in the. Oh, we have a chat comment. Yeah. There's one. Uh, is This is a, <laughs> I'm kind of looking at this comment slightly bemused. Okay. Like, and I'm not sure. how. Where to was it? The, it was the. There's the oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, read this comment. Read James's comment. Do you want me to read it? Uh, you can read it. Sure. Okay, James says, I don't know what the term is for racism towards movies, <laughs> but whatever the word is, Shahir totally has it towards superhero movies. Uh, okay, so uh, uh, like, I'll, just, I'll just say, James, no. and this is in no way um, uh, pejorative or, um, or meant to be uh, a moment of... Uh, 
Is shit gonna, get, is shit gonna get real? Uh, conflict, but it is. Uh, <laughs> it perhaps is not the right term to use for a brown person to, to use for a brown person. To Agreed. Call, to Agreed. Call something uh, being racist. Uh, I would. I would. Uh, I don't think. But that's not. But that's fine. I, I'm, sure. not, I'm not. Sure, sure, I'm, sure. Not, I'm, not, I'm not mad about that. Here's. Uh, here's what I would say. Um, wh- what I think is is that. There is a um, superhero movies occupy a space in the popular lexicon that is vastly outweighed that that is that in, in my opinion has taken up the space for original programming for original content superhero movie if you look at uh, what we're watching on film and television these days there is a there is a vast majority of space occupied for superhero films um, and and my issue with that isn't ha- hasn't got anything to do with superhero films. It has to do with narratives that essentially are based off the Iron Man formula, or you know, um, and continue to repeat that formula. And unfortunately for me, you know, my point has been always is that is that that tends to make me very bored. You know, like like it's it's the reason why I get excited about say the dark knight over a film like um guardians of the galaxy it's it's you know so it's a reason why i get excited about a film like logan over guardians of the galaxy is because there's a singular sense of this is a story that needs to be told not as much of a hey remember these characters that we we love and i and i think that that's the reason why I, I hope I don't come off as combative about it, but but that's the reason why I feel that way and it's it's, it's a personal thing sure i just find myself generally a little and I'm not, cool. th- you're this, just repeating what this I is do. what I find. Yeah. And, and this is where I, I'm, this is what I've seen with interacting with you th- mm. through these films. Cause I believe that is what, and this is such a dumb statement. I believe that's what you believe. Um, the, the thing that's interesting, I think is the, even the fact that you put guardians in the group that you feel like is same feeling. Mm. That's where I sort of disagree. Cause there are just no question. There are same feeling episodes of the Marvel cinematic universe. If we even want to call it that. So, you know, like there are, yeah. I like them and you can not like them. That's fine. Yeah. But I think what I always have trouble with whenever we talk about this stuff is you, I, I would argue, and I feel like I could, if we had more time that the, super samey feeling ones are the lessers. There are lesser of the samey, more same feeling ones than there are of ones that feel tonally different. And what I think what you see and feel for about this is there are way more similar ones than different ones. So even when we're talking about guardians, I think guardians does a bunch of stuff that these movies don't normally do. And I really appreciate it. But even when you just described sort of the reasoning behind it and I can't, I can't follow you. Yeah. These things take up, these are tentpole franchises. These things take up a lot of advertising, a lot of things that, yeah, maybe a smaller film's not going to get seen because these things exist. I personally don't have a problem problem with that so much Mm -hmm. because I am of the belief that you should, we talked about this even last time we were talking about your your name. name. Yeah. Uh, You should get out of your wheelhouse and you should want to look for things that are different. And if you don't, that's kind of on you. I I get it. I get that. Like how else are you going to know about stuff? But maybe, maybe just maybe people should just, if, if that's an issue, just sort of like pick yourself up by your bootstraps and just like, Go look for a different thing if you're feeling bored. And I, people like you, people like me, we do that. Not everyone does. So I'd have a hard time feeling bad for people. And I don't think and it's interesting. I don't think that 
uh, people are out there actively looking for new stuff, I think they should. Mm-hmm. So like to say that like these things are filling up the space and now they these these poor people can't see these other things. Well, for example, there was an interesting article last week about James Gray talking about the city of uh, the lost city of Z. Have you heard about that song? Uh, yes, I've heard the name, but I don't know the the. Don't premise. know anything about it. Marvelously reviewed film, beautiful looking film, astonishing, epic journey, although some points of conjecture about the actual historical importance of this real character. Based on an actual event. Based on an actual event. Beautiful film. James, very, very unwatched film. Okay. Very, very unwatched film. And James Gray went uh, and had a conversation about this and said, there is, there is a, in the, in the wake of the Marvel the push for big superhero franchise building movies, right? The, the mid-level film that attempts to do something of scale gets lost. They're, they're, he basically said there are basically indies now like Moonlight, which has to like break through the wave of indie and low budget films. And there are these giant tin poles and the movies that he's trying to make, like the, the $30, you know, interesting film, you know, the film with resources, but it's trying to do something interesting narratively or trying to tell an unusual story tends to get lost. And I, and that's kind of where I, you know, we, 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 our, our conversations about scheduling are always based upon the tent pole films. And, and, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, you know, like I kind of was like, oh, I, I wish there was, uh, um, an active conversation and, and a pursuant of cinema as an art form for, for, for trying new things. And we've been actually trying to do this guys. So, mm-hmm. so Shahir has been wanting to do this for a bit and it's going to be coming hopefully in a couple weeks. We're going to be doing a short films episode. Yeah. Uh, and that's something I'm psyched to do. We're kind of, we're getting, we're locking in guests and we're yeah. doing a bunch of fun stuff with that. I love doing stuff like that. And yeah. I, and I, I rely on you for these things. Right. Um, <laughs> you are you are the knife which cuts through my normal Hollywood advertising <laughs> bullshit. And I am not the most unmainstream person. I I have a I do have an affinity for mainstream films. You know, like I Terminator Two, I think is one of the masterpieces okay, of, I, of big blockbuster films. Okay, I really do. great. No, no, I I agree <laughs> that you agree that I agree, yeah. but I, I I would not consider you sort of super mainstream. I I, I think you would be surprised how mainstream some of the things that I like are. It's just that I. We've do, been doing this for a while. I do make an effort to try and find and champion things that people. Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting way off topic. We've been talking for a long time. I don't think we're getting off topic. I think we're actually getting into the heart of the conversation about this film. Okay. Uh, which is which is the conversation that grows around. Um, how to view this film and enjoy it. Well, let's talk about, we have a good friend, our friend Darren from uh, MTV. Who wanted to be on this. He wanted to be here. He could not uh, due to scheduling conflicts. So he wrote us in a nice little thing uh, and sort of his general thoughts of the film. I feel like this is as good a time as any to just sort of see what Mr. Darren was thinking. So he broke it down into, oh, hi, Darren, by the way. Hello. uh, I I apologize, Darren, because I think we've actually like covered these three topics uh, already. But I'd I'd like the third opinion. Okay, so the first one is comedy. What he loved about it is that it was not just snark comedy. Uh, uh, Tony, Spider-Man, Deadpool, Wolverine, and Magneto. You were about to say Deadwood. Deadpool. I was going to say Deadwool. <laughs> Deadwool. Um, uh, he, first off, he absolutely loved Guardians of the Galaxy 2. He, As he uh, should. Uh, you know, um, he didn't love Avengers 2. He didn't love uh, Civil War. That's uh, insane. Avengers 2, I can understand. Darren, you and I have to have words he, about he Civil War. He loved the uh, Civil War, the airport scene, but he didn't think the film was good, not great. Um, so so the three boxes that he thinks this film checks really well. Sure. Comedy, not just snark comedy, which Tony Spidey yep. did Will Magneto have plenty of, but real laugh out loud comedy. And I 100% agree with this. This has got genuinely funny 
uh, belly laugh kind of moments in it. So many action films are worried about losing the stakes of the drama that they're going too deep with the joke, but Gunn pushes it. Uh, the wrong eye winking and the scotch tape bits could have been in a Mel Brooks uh, Spaceballs film. 100% uh, true. The Drax laugh and the taser face bits were also funny. The more <laughs> Deadpool-esque and snark. And that's the thing. That's 100% true. Even just the referencing taser face from yeah. this movie, I literally had a belly laugh. Yeah, it's great. It works really well. And it's I, real. And what I, again, what I love about uh, what James Gunn does is that there's a real rat-a-tat-tat sense of comedy. You know, like he's You've like, used that term a couple times. Tell me what rat-a-tat-tat sense of comedy. So let's look at the scotch tape. Uh, let's look at the scotch tape moment and break it down for a second. So the, the absurdity of, the, and I have a real thing for comedy. I have a real thing for comedy structure. If anyone's interested, there's a video uh, that Nerdwriter has done recently. Nerdwriter! Uh, do, you, do you watch Nerdwriter's video? Yeah. video says? Uh, he did one about Louis, uh, uh, breaking down Louis C.K. Yes! Yep. It's really yeah, yeah, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I have a real passion for that. I know it's like counterintuitive to like try and explain why a joke is good, but I think but you can sometimes make that funny. Well, I think you could. And I, I just think there's a, there's a value to that. Anyway, the scotch tape moment. There's, there's, there's a couple of things that are happening. First off, the joke is predicated by the fact that Groot can't speak a language and is a baby and doesn't understand kablooey. You know, like doesn't understand what uh, Rocky is saying. So Rocket, you keep Ro- calling him Rocky. That's because of the song Rocky. Rocky. I know. Yeah. So I, I love. So so the the joke is already the punchline to uh, a joke that has been happening the entire film. The second thing is is that the absurdity of the joke gets escalated because. This is in amongst the biggest battle that the crew is having to fight. And again, we're stepping away from it to see Rocket trying to explain to Baby Groot that he has to run a bomb into a hole that's only big enough for him to push a button to set off a timer that'll be five minutes. And the joke, the joke is essentially the same structure of joke as the opening scene, which is Baby Groot dancing in the midst of a big battle. It is the part of it. Yes. Yeah. Th- that's what the that's the irreverent quality of this joke is that it's about. Um, the small human detail that we often don't think about in the midst of big space. Right. Battle. So rocket, basically there's two buttons on it and, and baby Groot keeps getting it wrong after the instructions. So he asks Quill who's fighting outside along with the rest of the guardians and on a huge space battle. Do you have any tape? I want to put some tape over the death button. And, and Quill's like, if anyone has, you have a nuke, if anyone has tape, it's you. And Before, then he goes it, and he flies it, around to everyone. And you just hear him ask everyone if they have tape while rockets in this hole. So from a semantic point of view, like not a syntactical point of view, the, the brilliant of that joke is the same thing that happens in the opening joke, which is that it is a locked perspective. So we yes. don't see Quill fly off. We just hear it happen and yeah. it's in the background. And what that joke is kind of doing is setting up this sense that the large space spectacle that this films are based on right. are in no way as important as the minor human absurdities that that are required to actually complete this mission and that's again another thing that i feel like is a strength of this movie it's 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 less about and the spectacle is great the spectacle is spectacle the spectacle is competent and it's there and i really like it but the reason that i even give a shit about the spectacle is the characters the reason why civil war works for me so well is because i care about the characters yeah these these moments i feel like this joke even with rocket quill baby groot it would not work with characters that I didn't feel like would actually a have this silly conversation and B uh, B and again, I have to keep going back to the, the familial sort of ties. Like how many times have you tried to explain a piece of tech to a parent or something like that? And you get into these moments where you're like, no, how do you not get? And it's this like, it's that kind of frustrated. You can only be with family. And, 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 and that really works for me 
in I, this moment and throughout the film. I think uh, Civil War actually had uh, great moments like this during the airport sequence, and it's, it's the reason why the airport sequence works so well, particularly with Spider-Man. Yep. Um, Where are you from, kid? Yeah, Brooklyn. I'm from Queens or whatever. Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, the so so when I say rat a tat, okay, what you, I that's mean, what you mean. The, I, what I mean is is there is a layering of jokes that are continuously escalating. It's something that um, again, as joke analysis uh, analysis goes. Arrested Development was the absolute genius at doing. Arrested Development got to a point where almost every line in the show was a joke that built upon another joke. And so that's what I mean when I say rat-a-tat. Now, it's, it is very hard to do that yes. kind of comedy. It is very hard to do that kind of comedy in a spectacle that requires oh, yeah. this level of, um, of competency. You know, mm-hmm. like, like the other thing that we mentioned was Mel Brooks's um, Blazing Saddles or Spaceballs. The joke in Mel Brooks's Spaceballs is that they don't have the money to do this kind of spectacle. You know, so th- that's kind of funny. In in Guardians of the Galaxy, they have to do this kind of spectacle and can do jokes at the at the same yeah. sort of pace that Mel Brooks can. Let's finish. I have a thing about the jokes, but let's finish up. Let's finish up what Darren was saying. Uh, dynamic interpersonal real relationships. Bam. Compare the relationship between Peter Quill and Rocket versus Tony Stark and Steve Rogers. I think that the relationship in Guardians feels more real and doesn't browbeat you with "still love you, man" type moments. I will agree. Um, I think the thing is, is that the in a weird way, it's the wrong way to use this phrase and much like uh the comments using the word uh, racist to describe my dislike of superhero films sure but but in a way this is a very diverse cast and and i think the interpersonal relationships work because of that diversity now obviously peter quill is a is a is a very much a white man as is bradley cooper as is drax um yep. uh, as is groot i guess in the in the phenology of this world but 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 they they are diverse in species yeah. and and there's a lot and the the i think the way guardians works well is that it treats those species as very diverse and and the bonds that are formed are formed despite special differences agreed i do think but i and and, and i i see his point but i don't also i don't honestly think that the uh iron man captain america bond is it's different and it's one that's more familiar mm. but uh i do think they do an excellent job of making me care about the actual like that's that again i go back to that i care about those two characters being upset with each other and yeah. they're they've and granted that's been a ton of films coming mm-hmm. but they got me to do it. That means in my head, they did something right. Now, is that fighting with your best friend? Everyone can relate to that. That's a tale as old as time sort of thing. I get that. Tale as old, old as, as time. time. Uh, but then this is, you're right. This does feel like a more diverse sort of problems based around a whole, again, a familial unit as opposed to just one person versus another. And he had one more point about the music, right? And he had this point about the music, which we've gone over. Yeah. Well, duh, it can't be oversimplified that we've had, uh, that we haven't had a, gra- a director with good ear for music and score since Tarantino in his prime. I 100% disagree with that statement. Uh, we, knew in the fr- uh, we knew in the first film he had a great ear for slow-mo badass music, but the inclusion of Cat Stevens in two showed his emotional range as well. I got to disagree with using uh, father and son. That is the moment to me where it rang untrue because he picked the most obvious song to signify that. Okay, I liked um, it. And, 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 here's, and here's a counterexample that I would use. Uh, go watch The Life Aquatic. Uh, the Life Aquatic by Wes Anderson is uh, ostensibly Wes Anderson doing an action movie and it is uh, a film where Wes Anderson recontextualizes uh, both action movie symphonies um, with a score by uh, the guy from Devo Mark Mothersborough who's excellent 
It also, uh, he uses uh, Sue Jors, uh, a, a Brazilian uh, singer, to, who is also in City of God, by the way, um, to recontextualize David Bowie's music. And it works so beautifully in that film. It is a, it's an example of someone taking uh, music that we know, recontextualizing it, and giving you kind of like a wow moment. Um, to say that we haven't had a great director who knows music ignore you know other than tarantino ignores so many filmmakers that i think do it i just so think well. i just think james gunn does a fucking phenomenal job i think he does a very good job is he better than martin scorsese using music no is he better than wes anderson using music i'd no. say is martin scorsese maybe wes anderson that's a tough one is he better than the coen brothers in the way that they use music yeah i i i, yeah. I would have a real I hard time saying we could get into a longer debate about that <laughs> um but so let's talk about a couple of things we haven't talked about. I know we're not going to have time to go through the chronology of the movie and, and maybe that's better for it. Cause I do think that some of the more interesting stuff is what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, but let's talk about some of the additions to the cast. Cause before we've been talking about a lot of characters that have sort of been around, you know, since this thing has started. Okay. Um, let's talk about ego. Let's talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Kurt Russell. Yeah. Uh, I, the, the opening scene where they de-aged him yep. was really, really well done yeah, from a technical and, point. And of view. did you know, Fun fact, that was about 90% makeup. <laughs> Kurt Russell has had the same makeup artist for 28 years, and he they did 90% of that with practical effects. Yeah. So that whole thing was just de-aging basically with makeup. And there's a whole breakdown of how they did it, and, and it looked great. It looked like young Kurt Russell, and I was like, this is good. It, it looked very much uh, like, and not in sort of a plastic yeah, way. That, yeah, 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 because know. again, it was practical, which is lovely. Kurt Russell, this is something that, uh, this is something that I love about Kurt Russell. Okay. This is something, and you might contest this about this specific film. <laughs> he could have just phoned this in. Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't know whether or not he would even based on like the first couple scenes he was in. Mm -hmm. But later on, you know, you find out, uh, you know, spoiler alert that not only is he Peter Quill's father, but he is a celestial and actually a living embodiment of an entire planet. As the name would suggest. Yes. Ego, the living planet. Yeah. Um, he gives emotional weight to the silliest character mm -hmm. I think I've ever uh, sort of seen in one of these Marvel universe. It's, it's a fucking living planet. It's dumb, but it, but th there's something about Kurt Russell that cause this, this is, this is sort of my point. Mm -hmm. He's been in the, all these interviews and all these interviewers ask the, the, all the stars. He's like, like, you know, clever questions like, Oh, if you had to live with an Avenger, who would you want to live with? And they have to answer cause it's kitschy and it's the fucking press junket. And like, whoever gives a shit. Mm -hmm. Kurt Russell every time has been like, I don't know who the fucking Avengers are. He's yeah. like, I don't, well, I don't, I haven't seen an Avengers movie. He's like, I know about my movie. Yeah. Well, I think Kurt Russell, I mean, I don't know if he'd like him or not. I would always say for people to go watch the Marvel movies. I really respect that. Not only does he really not give a shit about sort of the MCU really, mm -hmm. but also even though he doesn't really give a shit about it, he brings his fucking a game, like everything he does. And I was just really happy to see him do a good performance, a great performance for this really silly character. Yeah. I look, I would agree that uh, he doesn't phone it in and nobody is phoning it in, you know, because I think they're all working yeah. on, uh, you know, uh, I, maybe it's the fact that they're working with James Gunn, yeah. you know, who is a good director. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't that taken by his character in this film and I wasn't that taken by, uh, the overall sense of weight 
that this this storyline had and i so i to 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 sort of single out kurt russell as the reason as that as elevating that kind of maybe he elevated it for me because i, I think he i think in a lesser actor's hand it would be you know as you say it would be much sillier yeah so i i can i, I can agree with that point there's I, a moment where it turns and because i know this i i mean because i pay attention to this stuff i i knew the turn before it was coming i knew the turn before yeah, it was coming yeah, yeah, as well yeah. and it didn't it, it, and set up, it didn't set surprise up well. me but there are a lot of people in the theater which again it's always shocks me when this happens they're like <gasps> like they i hear audible gasps right. when when it finds out that ego is actually the villain right. and it's a moment where he's trying to sort of turn peter to like help him do this thing where he basically wants not only to have the, him be this planet but he wants to become all planets he wants to sort of consume the galaxy and become all one thing that's him he's there's been, an episode of rick and morty which has a character there, like and it and it's genius what they yeah. do with it in rick and morty. uh so they they he basically has been going to different planets and planting these seeds and he needs the power of two celestials he keeps trying to do it with children he's parented throughout the universe it doesn't work but for some reason peter's alive and he's going to use him to do it um okay. so so then this plan didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, it made enough sense from a comic book standpoint. Yeah, it, it, it really made, did. It made com- it was that one of those ones where you walk away and you're like, but the oh. thing is, but the thing is the reason, again, the reason why something like this, I don't have a problem if it's not entirely humanly logical mm-hmm. is because we are dealing with basically a celestial. We are dealing with the equivalent of a lowercase G God. We are dealing with things that they, they're, they are not thinking the way that we would think. And therefore, yeah, their plan might not seem logical, but that might be their one driving humans, one driving biological logical force is to is to reproduce really so this celestial beings thing could be the same thing like everything needs to be me like i don't know that's just how i sort of see it in comic book logic sure um it, 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 I guess the thing is, is that at some point they want to blow it up with guns, but which, which kind of like, it gets a little weird. Well, they had to, they used to they, the bomb, the brain at the center of the planet, but, but it's kind of weird because they're on the planet and he is the planet. And I'm like, doesn't he know what they're doing? Celestial baby. Yeah. Uh, so, it, so, maybe that's nice. so, that's uh, but the thing that turned me and the reason why I bring up Kurt Russell as a thing is the nonchalant way that as he's trying to convince Peter that he brings up, he's like, I visited your mother three times and I knew if I went back for a fourth, that I'd never leave. So, I mean, I felt awful, but I had to put that tumor in her brain. Yeah. And then Peter shoots him instantly just freaks out and guns him down. And there's a moment, that moment of nonchalantness and sort of that to me sold the, not only the entire sort of the, you know, father turned bad scenario, but, but egos whole thought process in existence and and he's indifferent to the suffering of human beings yes but this is this is something where i feel like you and i differ okay um a a lot of different things okay uh you're very tall no um (laughs) i i find and i think a a lot of people do Mm -hmm. maybe not everybody probably not everybody you're using the sort of uh uh arbitrary uh statistic here Sure. I find with these Marvel movies, for whatever reason, most of them, Mm -hmm. that they connect with me on an emotional level. Now, do they do it in somewhat in a I don't even want to call it a simplistic way, but do they do they do emotional uh, puppeteering in a in a way that would affect the most amount of people without overly trying to be very blatant in the fact that they are trying to do it. And by that, I mean like uh, a movie like moonlight, right. Mm-hmm. Is so expertly crafted, but you like, you know, like, you know, going into that, that your emotions are going to be like really 
Like after you see it for a minute, you're like, oh, it's this kind of movie. It's like, oh shit. Like, okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. Marvel movies, the emotional equivalent of it for in all of them that I've had an emotional response sneaks up on me. And that's something that I value a lot. And it's because I value these characters, not only as characters, but as archetypes and almost like moral sort of lessons in, in different ways and, and different sort of things. So moments like this with Kurt Russell and, and, um, and, uh, and Peter Quill, uh, it, it, it has a lot of weight. Same thing with Yondu. So the thing we were talking about before the second parent thing is Yondu. And this is why it's not. Uh, so in the first one, they're like, he makes the joke. He's like, boys wanted to eat you. They never tasted Terran before. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, basically, the, he broke the Ravager code. By the way, Sly Stallone apparently holds up the Ravager code. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was fun. I, I'm disappointed in this film not doing a Tango and Cash reference. Yeah, I'm that really, would have been great. I'm very There's a lot of references to some David Hasselhoff stuff. David Hasselhoff does something called Guardians Inferno. It's a song at the end of the film. Stick around past the five after credit sequences. But I'm saying you got an opportunity to put Tango and Cash in a movie. A hundred percent. A hundred, a hundred percent. Here's what I would say is, and this is the reason why the, uh, I agree with you. And re- let's go, let's go two for two. The last two Marvel movies we've done have been Civil War and, um, and this, right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And I, and I have 100% agreed with you that civil war has something in it. Oh, we did uh, Dr. Strange. You weren't here. Oh yeah. And no, I haven't, I still haven't seen it. Uh, I just lent it up today. So I'm sorry. Um, civil war did something that surprised me and it did something, uh, with the villain of that ca- of that film in, Zemo. A, in a really interesting way. I will say the thing about, uh, guardians of the galaxy and the reason why I'm not that taken by, um, by, uh, Kurt Russell, I think he's he's a fine actor. Uh, is that I think what, where the really mo- where the movie sets its heart is in Yandu's story, and I'm I'm always happy to see Michael Rooker working. <laughs> love Michael Rooker. I love Michael Rooker. I wrote a a paper about Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer when I oh, was wow. uh, okay. in college. So uh, I've been like you know so I, I I've been following his career for many years, and to see him kind of like break and he has him he's a terrific actor um but he's not the kind of he's a character actor by trade i guess he's the you know uh of late henry portrait of serial kill might be the only film where he's been the main guy and i know he's done one or two others sure um so to see him have a role where he's given the opportunity to shine uh in such a in such a meaningful narrative way yeah uh, that worked for me I, i will say the the kind of uh, emotional resonance that you're talking about. It, it did occur to me somewhat during the, the Yandu reveal yep. and the Yandu narrative, it got diminished by the playing of Cat Stevens, uh, you know, father and son, but I mean, that's, yeah, per, yeah that's yeah, a choice. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the Yandu thing was really nice because he was sort of a bit player in the last one and people liked him, especially mm-hmm. in the moment where he let the arrow go nuts and he has another one of those in this movie. Um, but you kind of learn and, and it's funny cause this movie eventually breaks people off into sort of pairs like Gamora and Nebula have a whole, their, their story is, I think, heartbreaking in the in the in the 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 Thanos torture in terms of the uh the the nexus between your uh appreciation of movies and my appreciation of movies do you know what film they were riffing on when was it what's her name which one nebula Nebula? yeah when nebula attacks gamora out in the field when when she's in the plane when she's in she's in um the milano yeah Yeah. i don't know north by northwest oh was it it? yeah it was literally they literally did the they had the exact same shots from north by northwest oh it's amazing Uh, idiots yeah and i was i was like that's cool that's cool it's really cool uh but i think that they did that very well and you you kind of realized that even though nebula was just sort of a sort of one note villainess in the first movie i didn't even realize she was a villain in the previous movie i completely forgot because she was she was cool but like she was definitely a, a bit player she was definitely sort of there for 
Gamora to have someone to spar with. Mm -hmm. And this one, you, you, you know, you feel like you figure out the backstory and the torture and how basically Thanos tortured and dismembered her every time she lost in a fight. Right. And now she's this weird mechanical thing. And all she wanted was a sister. Like I thought that was beautiful. Rocket and Yondu when they're captured with the, when the Ravagers mutiny, you My kind favorite of, character in all of this is Rocket. Yeah. Cause Rocket is this interesting sort of, I mean, I don't know why I'd be able to relate to this, but it's this mouthy asshole <laughs> that, uh, basically is kind of a dick for no reason, a bunch. Yeah. And, and, and Yondu has this great moment with him when the, they just sort of clash and he's like, I, you know, I, I can see who you are. I can see right through you da, 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 insult 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 because you're me right and it's just this moment where you're like fuck i mean i that moment didn't i guess i didn't have the the memory of the weight of who yondu was it was of, more of a rocket moment to be but the, but that, the, the fact that he could look at him sort of as that mirror and that was sort of rocket sort of turning point from being an asshole drax and uh mantis mantis i feel like is she was a funny character. Mm -hmm. uh, she was the least pertinent for me, but they needed someone for Drax to play off of. And right. I think Drax is the MVP. If, if Drax is literally the dude holding up like the backbone of the comedy in this, cause mm -hmm. uh, Batista, holy shit, man. Like this is his role. There's no question. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's, there's so many different dynamics. And then when the characters interact and crisscross, like the way that they sort of talk to one another outside of these pairings is really nice. Um, Anyway, we've been talking for a long ass time and I'm sorry I, I gush about things that I love. Um, but do we just want to do sort of final thoughts and wrap it up? Well, or do I, you gonna, have... I mean, uh, James in the Facebook thing oh, yeah. had, uh, had been putting in uh, a couple of notes there. I, I think, you know, do either of you two feel that the jokes were overplayed a bit, that some jokes were used at times that took away from the more serious heartfelt moments of the movie? I, I actually think the jokes are the saving grace of the movie without them and without the, the sort of persistent quality of them. Uh, you know, like they're not, they're, 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 a, you know, like, uh, the wrong eye joke, you know, like yep. wrong eye feels a little bit hokey, but it's repeated enough and kind of works enough. Yeah. It's not, it, it doesn't feel like sort of one linery to me. Um, so I, I actually think that the, the, the movie plays bitter because of the irreverent sense of humor. Of the and film. I think, I think that they show restraint when they need to, again, that Yondu and rocket moment, I was expecting a, a joke at the end of it. And then there was no joke. And the fact that they'd done like serious moment, joke, serious moment, joke, serious moment, joke, then serious moment, let it sit. And yeah. you're like, Whoa, that Good. makes it more powerful. The thing I didn't like is kind of what I said before was the jokes that were just there to throw back to the first joke from the first movie that again, didn't affect you because you didn't remember yeah. them. Uh, but there were, you know, there were certain jokes that just held a lot of delight for me. And I thought they were clever. They were set up. They were well-established. And the, 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 the standout joke for me, although it's absurd that somehow Peter Quill now knows how to use his powers to maximum effect, the moment when he and uh, Ego are battling <laughs> and suddenly, <laughs> suddenly Peter Quill, you know, turns, you know, cause he's like, I'm going to get weird on this shit. Cause I can make anything becomes Pac-Man. Yeah. And, and I thought it's, that's just a great and it's quick and it's yeah. done well yeah. and it's set up and we understand it. Uh, the other one was, um, which is a joke that James uh, mentions uh, was weird. Um, David Hasselhoff joke during his father's transformation. I think that was I clever like because because it plays into this idea. It, it's a joke about the 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 sort of time warp that Peter Quill is stuck it's in. A, yeah, 
it's, and it's, and it's, it's about a, his character. But it also plays off the idea that Ego is whoever you want him to be. He's not this. He's not a representation of Kurt Russell. This is oddly the second time in cinema history that I can think of that Kurt Russell is used as the model of fatherhood. The other one being in Cameron Crowe's remake of Vanilla Sky when Tom Cruise looks at Kurt Russell oh, as a father figure. Oh, yeah. And this is another meta reference is because uh, in that film, he's using him as a reference because he reminds him of Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that's the second time. Huh. That's a deep cut that I pulled up without any Google search. That was good. Just, his, key, his hands were not on the keyboard. We have the I, video I, evidence to prove it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so Kurt Russell, and I, maybe, maybe I, I'm pretty sure you would be happy if Kurt Russell was your dad. I you mean, love your dad. Love don't, dad. don't get, don't get me yeah, wrong. Let's not don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm saying, but like, if I could have two dads, yeah, I definitely want Kurt Russell to be my dad. Kurt Russell, <laughs> Kurt Russell could, could like, say if your dad and Kurt Russell were married and, and, sure. Kurt, and they divorced and Kurt Russell was your weekend dad. That'd be great. That would be what. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. You, everyone wants Kurt Russell as the weekend yeah. dad. Literally, literally Chris <laughs> Pratt gets to play catch with Kurt Russell in this movie. Yeah. As it is the week, and and he's actually the weekend dad. He's like turning up like fucking thirty years too late, and he's like the greatest film of the year. Yeah, hey, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I love Kurt Russell. Uh, everyone knows my penchant for the Escape from New York and Escape from LA. Um, yeah, and everything he's done, he's been fucking great in everything. <laughs> uh, but enough about me, Shahir. Let's give your final thoughts on this uh, on this latest chapter in your beloved MCU. Uh, now, and I've missed a couple of chapters now, but I don't feel like I'm missing. You are, you are. Okay. Um, like I said in the beginning, I think it's a very, it, it, to me, it reminds me of when we saw Star Trek beyond. I think it's a, it's a very good episode of the guardians of the galaxy series. I like that it, uh, doesn't have too much, uh, stake in setting up the Marvel cinematic universe, which has always been kind of a gripe. One of your of, problems. Yeah. One of my gripes. Um, even and, though they are going to be in infinity war. Yeah, even though, yeah, they managed to like somehow still maintain a sense of internal narrative um, despite, and I think, and I do, as much as I think that I have been spoiled by Rick and Morty recently in terms of the the way in which Rick and Morty uh, takes an idea that is central to Guardians of the Galaxy and in 20 minutes does more with it. Right. Um, uh, I, I like that this story has this sort of weird... Um, sentiment to it, about, sure. you know, and it's not, it, it's, it's a, there's a, there's almost a metaphysical level to the villain. I mean, there's literally a medical physical. There is. Um, but of course we've still got to blow it up with, with bombs. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's fun. I, uh, it's a solid B plus a minus kind of movie for me. Um, very, very enjoyable. Um, I, th I would argue at this point, um, I'm trying, and, and this is the, this is the problem that I have with the, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe for me. And, and, and I think, you know, I do have a fairly strong memory for film. Like if I love something and if it makes an impression, I'm going to remember you it. You have a strong <laughs> thing for, you have, you have a strong memory of things you like. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I'm saying if something makes an impression on me. But you like it to have an impression. It's, it's it, chicken and the egg. It's, yeah. yeah. And, and I guess I'm saying the Marvel Cinematic Universe for me personally doesn't make a strong impression. I would maybe say that this is the strongest impression in the Marvel cinematic universe for me, possibly. Um, 
I think I think it's very. Um, it does a lot, and, and I'm saying that more than Guardians of the Galaxy one. Yeah, it does a lot because well, it's it's nice because even though you didn't remember Guardians of the Galaxy, you're still familiar enough with the characters to know. Okay, these are the five people I'm supposed to know. like. Right. It was and it felt comfortable. It felt it felt homey almost. It just yeah. sort of like oh yeah. I these will are say I will say I'm I, I don't see this in 3D. I'm I'm the 3D is done very well, but it tends to have this sort of flattening effect for me, which is contradictory to what 3D should do. Yeah. It doesn't make it immersive for me. It makes it feel cardboard cutout e mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, because uh, it wasn't shot in 3D. Uh, I believe it was. Was it? Oh, I don't know. There's a there's a I feature right now but because it was shot in uh, 8K in the new Red 8K, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm currently shooting. I just finished a project on the red and I'm shooting a project on the Alexa and I, and I'm having like lots of debates about the difference between the two things. Um, well, just call James Gunn. I'll just call James Gunn and say, yeah. Hey man, I'm thinking about shooting my next commercial on uh, the red eight K in 3d IMAX. Can uh, you come over for the weekend? Yeah. Can you just help me out? Hey, could you bring Kurt Russell? I mean, just, just to come hang out, just come hang you out. Just attack that in for me. And I, see. I got a friend who needs a weekend dad and uh, you know, like they could play catch. They could make hot dogs. They could, we could both dress up like snake Plissken. It would be great. Yeah. And judging by you, the way you say uh, Kurt Russell responds in press interviews, I'm sure he'll love that. <laughs> Kurt I'm Russell sure. doesn't Look, give a shit about Matt me. Called, he doesn't give a shit about me. <laughs> And that makes me love him more. <laughs> He's nigging you into into like complete adoration. Look, he may be my my cinema father, but he's not my daddy. Um, I hope. Yeah, that's my position on the film. All right. I mean, look, I uh, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed all the character work that went into it. Like I've said, the 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 relationships again, which is why. I think the MCU stands out for me in, in, in a world of franchises and nonsense that I like normally just on like, oh, this is a fun sort of okay thing. The MCU stands out for me. And when they do things like this, where they break their own sort of mold a little bit, it really makes me care and love the world that they're building. It makes me worry further about Infinity War and the future of the third thing because the, the I don't understand and I hope I'm wrong how they can keep the same level of emotional gravitas like it seems like to do to do this for me to have Guardians work as well as it Guardians Volume 2 work as well as it did for me a lot of plate spinning I think people are going to run out of hands run out of sticks and run out of plates like I think I, I don't know how they're going to be able to do it. What I what I like about this film is it doesn't make me care about the the extended Marvel. I, I know that. I know yeah. you say that. But what I'm saying is th- because this film is so good and so much is going on, it makes me worry that when it all folds into itself, like because and I've said this to you before, this is straight up and I will admit this. If they drop the ball on tying this all together and it's not good. I don't think they will. I, and, I I hope, don't. and I hope not. I will be the first one to call it out. I know I come off as very fanboyish. I like, I understand that, Mm -hmm. but as we're getting closer, I am getting more worried. Okay. Uh, that, that this thing thing I put so much faith in that I think they can do (laughs) is going to collapse. You know what I'm thinking of when I say, when you're saying you're worried, I'm thinking of Marvel was it Kevin Feig. I'm thinking of Feige, uh, Feige uh, sitting in a room like Woody Harrelson in Zombieland, crying with his pockets of money at your at your concern. Yeah, I think I think. But again, you you <laughs> you're you're interpersonalizing a concern that I'm having. I don't think the other people give a shit about this. I'm just talking about my own thing with right. the thing I'm presented. Uh, I don't care. I don't give a fuck if they care See, about I'm me. I'm more I'm more worried. Uh, I guess from a fanboyish point of view, if Game of Thrones drops the ball because it's I, the same thing. Right. It's, no, it is because you've put you've put so much belief and effort and kind of love into watching of a thing. If they don't pay it off, there is a bit of you that's going to feel like, 
it's oh, gonna dis- it's gonna listen the things I loved about the previous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and that's a hard thing. And, and again, I don't know. Anyway, back to this movie. I loved it. I think the soundtrack's wonderful. The colors are beautiful. The effects work is great. Uh, uh, characters were doing things that I I didn't think I'd care about. They made me care about it a bunch. I will see this movie a bunch. I will buy it. I will keep watching it. Uh, and it uh, it's it's literally some of my favorite characters I've seen on a screen. Like it's just really, 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 really fun. And uh, even beyond its problems, beyond its sort of stupid callbacks and maybe a pacing issue. Again, I have to see it again to, to make sure I wasn't like sort of reading into a technical issue for that sort of pacing issue in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I go see it. It's making a bunch of bank. I'm uh, sure. Maybe go see the Lost City of Z while you're out there. Go see both. <laughs> go see both. You got some disposable income. I know you. Uh, Shahir, when you're not. Come like, on, pull it out. Pull it out. What do you when got? You're what, not what do you got? Kind what do you got? of backwardsly, but less so than usual, complimenting a Marvel movie. Where can folks find you? Do I do that often? I wonder. Uh, yeah. This is the most you've done it politely. Okay. Uh, you can find me politely <laughs> commenting on cinema and film at my website at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Uh, that has links to all my Twitter, Instagram, um, all that stuff. I have a cool music video coming out. Uh, not the robot music video. I still got a little bit of delay on that, but I have a cool um, MMA style music video. It's coming very out. cool. I've seen, I've seen clips. Oh, and uh, we've just, in fact, we just wrapped that up. Uh, Today, of all things, I'm very excited about that. Congratulations. Thank you. So that should be out in a few weeks' time. Uh, Matt, when you are not uh, drenching in the tears of Kevin Feige's royalty chicks, uh, where can people find you on the internet? There's no better way to clean your body. Uh, you can find me at Matthew Kroll, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, uh, I've been doing more, vo- more and more voiceover work. You can find me on there. You can contact me. Uh, As Ivan Kanda said, you have the voice of God. I, I mean, that's terrifying. I have the Lowercase G. Lowercase G. If Ego comes back as a character in uh, Infinity Wars, they should use you as the voiceover artist. I'm your dad, Peter. Um, then, you would have to compete with Orson Welles from the Transformers animated oh, film. Oh, when he was Unicron. Unicron, yeah. exactly. I mean, that's the kind uh, of level of planetary <laughs> voice work that you're going to have to compete with. Um, also finished by Leonard Nimoy, I think, when, when he when he passed away. Oh, was it really? I think I so. I didn't know. Uh, anyway, you can also find me at Skeletor, the number four, PREZ on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, guys, please, if you like what you hear, if your ears are singing to us praising kind of sort of halfway a Marvel film, uh, please leave us reviews on iTunes. Uh, everyone in the chat who's here right now, I can see you all. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you, everyone. Uh, I appreciate that. If you could, you're right at your computer. You're right there. Go leave us, even if it's just like, this was neat. James, and some stars. James. Uh, <laughs> go to iTunes, James. We're looking at you, James. We're looking at you, buddy. Go right uh, to iTunes right would, now. We would really appreciate it. Uh, it does. It helps us get eyeballs on us, earballs, however you want to put it. And uh, tell your friends, just keep keep passing us around. Uh, <laughs> just keep doing it. We're, we're, I have we're, inappropriate jokes I could make about that, but I'm not gonna. What's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, I'm not feeling myself today. It must be the mango tea that I'm uh, sipping on. You've been sipping for about an hour and a half. Uh, a very good friend of mine. Well, he might not consider himself a very good friend of mine, but he's written into us. He listens to us. Uh, <laughs> I ha- love that. Rafael da Silva, a very smart man who lives in Scotland now. You're, you're doubting if this man considers you a friend. Well, I he's love written it. into us to ask us our opinions on movies. And sure. We, and we actually owe him a film. He's, uh, well, he's asked for two films. Which ones? He's asked for Inception. Oh. Uh, and he's also asked for the Noam Chomsky, the American dream, Requiem for an American dream. Okay. Uh, so first one's going to be a lot of. <laughs> the second one's going to be very twi- quiet talking. And yeah. I'm, I'm look, uh, Raphael, I'm very uh, nervous to do the Noam Chomsky one because, uh, 
Oh, I don't even want to say this actually, because I know. Say it. No, no, I don't want to say this because Noam Chomsky is a personal hero of mine, mm. and I feel like he is at the end of his. That's um, fine. He's coming to the end of his. There's nothing wrong with that time, and I am I'm very saddened by that because he yeah. is a personal hero. Things but, aren't beautiful because they last you here. Um, but at any rate, uh, we will get to those films at some point. Rafael, Rafael, and another friend who I don't think listens to the show, Randy Kip. Uh, two very then no friend of mine. Just two, kidding, Randy. Two very smart uh, doctors in uh, medicinal chemistry, organic chemistry. Whoa, oh, actually, oh, no, biochemistry. I believe. Could Bio- they guys? Could you hook me up with some super soldiers? They here? could totally hulk us out if they if they. I don't I want a Hulk out. I want Cap. I want Steve Rogers level. I don't like, want to be the fucking Hulk. I don't need gamma rays in my these life. These are the two guys that could totally do that. The other thing that they did is they introduced me to a song which they would drunkenly sing many a time when I was over at their place. And that when is you were busy not being their friend. When I, when I was busy not being the drunk guy, I was oh. basically just sitting there listening to them sing this song. Drinking they, the same mango tea. Drinking my mango tea. And they would sing Rocky Raccoon by the Beatles. White album. Uh, right? Yeah, the white album. And it's a terrific song. And it's also the origin of the name Rocket raccoon i'm waiting for the next film which becomes my favorite character rocket raccoon becomes a central player and they pick this song to play maybe they can't afford the royalties for this song i bet you they couldn't <laughs> I, bet, I bet you they could <laughs> kevin feig's tears could probably afford like the royalties on this song. not, not, with, not with all the bathing i do <laughs> they could well, not afford it paul mccartney is holding out for like at least for them to cross the billion dollar threshold before he gives them the rights to this song ah. but this is the basis upon which rocket raccoon my favorite character from guardians of the galaxy name came from it's a wonderful song it's a song that i have sung to my son uh which is Odd because the song about two people in a gunfight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's odd at all. Is that weird that I don't think that's odd? Uh, but no. uh, Rocky uh, had come equipped with a gun to shoot out the last of his rivals. Oh, man. We're really going to be able to jack up our prices <laughs> if we're two-time movie reviewers slash singers. Well, that's all I'm going to sing, by the way. <laughs> so We'll see you next quickly. week. Uh, just for everyone remember real quick, we are Groot. We are Groot. We are Groot. <laughs>